Welcome to the Alliance Bible Church Podcast. We exist to be a healthy community, living and sharing the good news of Jesus with neighbors and nations. Uh, so my name is Rich. I'm the youth and family pastor at Hillsborough First Baptist. I, I love coming back to, to be with you guys. Wayne is a great friend and uh, it's been interesting. Uh, I love hearing all of the work that is going on right now. Uh, as a church, we went through an assessment and uh, a rebuilding and a discovery of what does this look like. And so I hear some of those same things of uh, who is God and who, how are we supposed to put our body into that? Because God has created us uniquely as a church and we have values that God kind of imprints on us as a, as a people. And what does that mean to live that out in a great way? And so uh, it's exciting to watch that un, kind of unravel. Um, and I just pray and trust that God's going to do some incredible things with it. Uh, and as you guys have walked through this story, I know uh, you have seen great things and you have struggled through hard things. Uh, and you keep coming back to this fact that we have a good God who loves us and has a plan for us. And so, uh, yeah, let's just say amen with that. Uh, and so you guys are walking through Nehemiah, uh, and I was just invited to continue on that journey. And I think this is one of those greatest stories God has about rebuilding. Um, and uh, it, as he starts Nehemiah, in Nehemiah 1, uh, he has the, this prayer. And in his prayer, he says this, remember the word that you are command, that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. And I think as we look at Nehemiah and as we look at this rebuilding story, that's what we have to really put on first is God cares about his people. He cares about them being faithful and obedient. And as we kind of enter into Nehemiah, uh, we have to remind ourselves that unfaithfulness created problems for God's people, right? We had 70 years of exile. We have God's people coming back. And Nehemiah is kind of keyed into this idea that if we're not faithful, uh, if we're not diligence in being prepared and looking at what's going on, bad things are going to happen because God loves us and he's going to use everything possible to get our attention, even if that's a bad thing. Uh, but that's okay because God loves us through it all anyways. And so uh, I'm excited to look at now Nehemiah 5 with you guys. And so uh, let me just pray really quick. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the dedication this church has to your word and to following it, to evaluating their own uh, hearts and values and beliefs and trusting that whatever you call them to do is the right thing. And so, Lord, help, help them help us understand what that is. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to start looking at Nehemiah 5, but before we get there, the best part of preaching is the story. And so I have a story for you because um, we're going to get into an issue of what is it, of compassion and how we treat other people. And, and so I'm a father. I've got four kids. Um, I deal with lack of compassion all the time for them. And so uh, 
it usually happens. Uh, there's something that kicks it off. And I don't know about you, uh, as grandparents, I'm sure you've experienced this as well, because my dad dealt with it, that Lego block. That's sitting there on the carpet, uh, ready to attack you, camouflaged, that my children have, no, uh, they have not put it out against me. But normally what happens is we're playing Legos together because I grew up with Legos and they have my Legos and I need to be a child again. And so we play Legos. And then, of course, we have to build a town. And so we make a mess and we leave the mess because we want to go eat and come back or it's late and they're supposed to go to bed. But we have this mess that's sitting out there. And then it happens. You need something across the room and you have to navigate through that mess and you find that red Lego brick poking up, hits your foot right in that soft spot. Not on the callus, on the soft spot. And then it turns. Your, your good childlike demeanor, your, the way you're supposed to parent just disappears, and we become kind of like, well... Like the Hulk, right? We just lose that compassion. We start getting angry. And my wife is an incredible wife. Honey, they didn't mean to do it. They didn't attack you. Uh, Remember, but it's too late. And I remember my dad doing the same thing. And uh, as a child pleading with him, it's not my fault. Like I, we didn't try to kill you with the Lego. Uh, Yet everything had to get put away. Uh, the funness was gone, and Dad was upset. And I remember sitting there and kind of looking back and just knowing no one heard my cry. Uh, It didn't matter what happened, that we just felt lost through this. And as we look at Nehemiah 5, that's, that's how we start the story, where there's God's people crying out, But God's a good God and he listens and he has good leaders who are paying attention to what's going on and responding. And as we look at this, this isn't just one child kind of left alone as a victim, but this is all of God's children uh, who are feeling this way, multiple people. And it should concern us. The fact that God's people are crying out that they're looking to be treated fairly Um, And so God wants us to look at this and understand if we fail to treat others, especially other believers, with compassion, and let's even add to those who need him with compassion, it's an insult to our God, it's an insult to our testimony, and unfortunately it can be a, a barrier to our walk going forward. And so uh, let's just look at Nehemiah 5 as as it comes to this idea of compassion and that God cares about our faithfulness to respond to compassion and be reminded that if we don't respond, scattering happens. God is going to get our attention. And so... uh, We're going to start looking at Nehemiah 5, and let's kind of walk ourselves to it. You guys have been walking all the way through, and I believe you're going to continue walking through Nehemiah until you get to the end. 
because uh, God's good, word is good for us. And so we find ourselves kind of in Judah. The tempa, temple has been rebuilt. Nehemiah is answering this call from God to come back and to help rebuild the walls and the gates to the city to bring that protection that that offers. And he talks to the king and the king attacks. He sends him with the support. So God's back behind this. And we see this provision there and the people start to rebuild. And as last week you looked at it and there was some opposition starting to kind of come out of that, that the people around uh, the walls didn't want to see this happen. Now we find the people at work, working side by side, some with spears, some with swords, some with their hands working together, everyone moving together. And now we get ourselves in a little bit of a dilemma because the conflict's not from outside the walls, conflict's on the inside. So let's see what Nehemiah 5 has to offer us. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and their wives and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money from the king's tax, for the king's tax on our fields and from our, for our vineyards. And now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved and it is, it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. There's this outcry coming from God's people. And it's often in this time of struggle where we find the rich have enough stored up and it's the poor who don't. And so we see the rich get richer. We see the poor start to suffer. And God's not quite aligned with that. And his people are calling out, even their wives are calling out. And this is a countercultural piece because husbands are supposed to be the heads of the households. And now there's this other voice that's bringing out, hey, this is not okay. You haven't listened. We need help. And it's about more than famine. It's about more than the taxes. It's about more that they've exhausted their resources. They're coming to the point of needing to sell their children. Not as bond servants, which God has a plan for, but as slaves. And there's something hypocritical about this piece, right? Uh, and we'll talk about that in a second. But it's not just about famine and taxes and resources, but it's a cry for justice that the people are bringing, that they need to be saved, that something isn't right. And it's not just that something isn't right because we're fighting our enemies, but something's not right and we're fighting ourselves. We're being taken advantage of within. Now, the story doesn't sound like it should fit us, um, but often this is kind of the, the conflict. This is the conflict that I get on Sunday morning when someone is upset with what has happened or how a leader has hurt them through the week. And we need to figure out how to respond in that right manner. But people need to cry out. They need to be heard. 
And then as we hear that cry, we have to ask the question, is it real? Because we all know from ourselves, when we get into that place, when we step on that Lego, it hurts and it doesn't make sense. And we're not thinking about our kids. We're not thinking about those around us. We are hurt. We want to be heard and we're going to cry. And sometimes that cry is just our brokenness and we need to deal with that. Sometimes that cry we're hearing is real and we have to respond. And here's how Nehemiah continues. And I was angry when I heard their outcry and these words. And I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. And I said to them, you are extracting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. And I said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought, bought back our Jewish brothers from who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us, that they were, and they were silent and they couldn't find a word to say. And so I said, the thing that you are going, that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations and our enemies? The reality is Nehemiah finds truth in that cry. People are being charged interest. People are being, people are buying slaves. So there's, there's a part of needing to sell something to get money. And there's part of that other side that is buying what is being sold. And so the people are buying the slaves. There's a heart that says this is okay. And this is the hypocritical part because they just bought back all of the slaves that they sold to the other nations. And so it's not okay for them to have them, but it's okay for us to have it. And God said they had nothing to say. Um, Sometimes this is a good point. When people don't have anything to say, there's a heart movement going on. There's something the spirit has convicted us and we need to listen, especially when it's us being challenged, that when I run out of something to say, perhaps I'm going in the wrong direction. Perhaps I need to step back and realize where my disobedience or my unfaithfulness has has taken me. And it says this, that they lost their fear of God. And this is concerning because when God's people aren't acting like God's people and they're not even fearing God in their own family, something bad's going to happen. And we need to be aware. Now, in going through Nehemiah, I didn't think we'd actually end up in Leviticus, but I'm going to invite you back to Leviticus 25. Because this story, this reality of what happens, God has instilled a heart and some words that speak directly against this as a warning and something we should be diligent about. So if you go to Leviticus 25, starting in verse 35, hear these words. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God, that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit, 
I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker, as a sojourner. And he shall serve you until the year of the Jubilee. Think of these words. If your brother becomes poor, take no interest. Fear God. Don't lend your money at interest. Don't sell food for profit. Don't make him serve as a slave. This is exactly what those people are crying out about. This is exactly what God has said, we, how we shouldn't treat our people. And he's got a vision for what we should do. All right. Uh, at the end, he says, and they shall serve with you until the year of the Jubilee. God has a vision and he had it in the beginning of how we're supposed to kind of fight uh, this unjustice, how we're supposed to kind of reset the clock um, because as the generations go on, uh, it's harder and harder to get out of that cycle. So turn back to the biggest, uh, to just verse 25. Verse 11, uh, eight, and you shall count seven weeks of years and seven times seven so that the time of seven weeks of the years uh, shall give you 49 years and you shall sound the trumpet on the 10th day of the seventh month on the day of atonement. You shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land and you shall consecrate on the 15th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. God has an answer for how we get out of injustice. It's about returning back to the original. It's about giving back. And it's as if God knew we were going to do these things that we will forget how to take care of our brother, that we will forget how to make sure we're not, oppressing the next generation. And so there's a proclamation of liberty to return all property. God's view in this Jubilee happens every 50 years. Unfortunately, this is the only piece of scripture that I can find that speaks of someone proclaiming the Jubilee of tying this back but it's an incredible answer to injustice. It's an incredible answer to that cry that we need to think about. And I think Nehemiah is a pretty wise prophet. As he looks at this, as he looked in the beginning and said, if we are unfaithful, you will scatter us. And if we know your commands and we obey them, not just having the head knowledge of who God is, but actually having the heart knowledge and moving that into our hands of doing what he is telling us to do. God's presence sits with us. His protection, those walls start to make sense. And Nehemiah, I think not, not having any other solution listens to God's word and declares it's not even the 50th year, but declares the Jubilee. And today, this would be the most countercultural fight we could have, right? Uh, I own a house. 
I would struggle giving that back. I don't even know who would own that, right? Um, but we can let that be part of how we love people, how we think about interest or what someone owes us. And maybe it has nothing to do with money, but we all have those people in our lives that we think owe us because we did something for them. We were there. We provided. Uh, we got them out of trouble. And we hold a debt over people's head. And so perhaps we need to think twice what that, were, what that really looks like. But what it is, is compassion. And what it is in its finest moment is an act of generosity. Compassion is, in action, is generosity. And that's what we see happen next. That's what God declares in the Jubilee is generosity. And that's what we see Nehemiah start to do. And it continues. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us, all of us, abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been extracting from them. And they said, we will. We will restore these things and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they have promised. And I shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out from every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise so that he may be shaken out and emptied and, the, and all assembled and said, amen. And they praised God, praised the Lord, and the people did as they promised. Generos generosity costs the giver. Imagine just returning all of that. The cost that you would endure, that you have paid out, just disappearing. It's a pretty big thing to think of. That cost removed a generational gap. That cost brought people back to the place of being able to work together alongside each other. As we look at Nehemiah, he takes it one step further as a leader. And moreover, from this time that I was appointed to, their, to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took them for their daily rations, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall and acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there at my table, 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us with the nations, that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one oxen and six choice sheep and birds and every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all of this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. 
Remember my good, oh my God, that I have done for this people. Nehemiah's example shows us generosity is about lightening the burden. That as we give, it's not just money, it's just not resources, but it's about trying to give a release of burden. That it's not as hard on someone else. Even when it was hard on me and I worked through it, and you know, got my bootstraps and I pulled them up and we got it done. It's not required for us to pass that along. We can pass along the generosity instead. And generosity is not about lording over those we serve, but it's about serving from below. And through all of this, it gives us a pretty good glimpse of who our God is. That God is generous with us into a place that it doesn't make sense. Because I know, I know you know, or you're struggling with this because you think that burden is too much to release. Um, Because God loves us. He gives us things. He lightens the burden and he serves from below in ways we can't imagine. And we don't know how to respond the crux of human conflict of the struggle that we see in scripture is based on this lack of compassion. Uh, That's the reversal of generosity, selfishness. Uh, And we see this in the beginning with Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Jacob and Esau, that unfaithfulness with them scattered them. It had consequences They lost their position in the garden. They lost their position in their family. They got cast away and had to deal with what happened. Yet God is generous. Uh, He takes mercy on his people and he seeks after them. He seeks after you, even when it's not deserved. And that's part of his original plan. This was there in the beginning. And he sent the most compassionate gift to us through Christ. If you want, come read with me through Luke. Because this idea of the Jubilee doesn't end with Nehemiah. But it ends with a final Jubilee being proclaimed by our, our Lord. In verse 17 of Luke 4, he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. To proclaim good news to the poor, he has set me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering to the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the Jubilee. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. God is compassionate and Jesus is that generous gift that we've received. It makes no sense as a father. This is not anything I can come to imagine to offer for anyone, but our God did it. His compassion is so great because it has nothing to do with anything we offer at the table. He bore the cost He lightened our burden. 
He calls us to come be yoked alongside him to gain that incredible power that we get when we don't walk alone. And he doesn't lord over us, but he brings us to him. He lovingly does that. And as we look faithfully at him, he will gather us together. He will protect us. He will, we will be in his presence. And he takes care of us. In the end, right, Jesus is the one who paid that cost on that cross. And it releases us from our oppression, from our shame, from our sin, from anything that we think that stands in the way. Jesus has been generous to us. And so if we say we're faithful, if we believe, if we count on this compassion and generosity, then we better share that generosity and compassion with others. It's not just about us, right? Because we're called to go love the world. Our brothers and sisters, our outsiders, those who desperately call for help, we're called to respond in a generous way. Nehemiah was really wise. He knew what was going to be coming, and he stopped, and he reset everything. Often it's our compassion that blocks our walk with God. It's our compassion or lack of compassion that gets us stuck, that lets us step on that Lego and just lose it. Um, And you know what happens next, because when we lose compassion, I know when I step on one Lego, I will find another Lego. And it just keeps going. And so when we lose compassion, when we start getting selfish, we will find the next selfish act to get to. And so we need to be careful. And so whether we're called to serve or to rebuild the church, the temple, our relationships, or even our own hearts, let's be realistic, that's where it starts, our hearts. Um, If compassion is missing from this equation, we know what happens next. God will deliver on his warnings. This act of generosity is compassion and action. It is no easy task. Um, And it culminates with Christ on that cross in the most perfect example of compassion and the most perfect example of faithfulness, even when it's hard. And so what do we do with this? Where, where do we go next? So let's, uh, as we start to get ready to close, I want to ask a few questions. What does true compassion really look like for you? Because true compassion is a heart change. It's something we can't fake. It's the result of this work Christ did with us and that movement that he calls us to continue going forward. Because if as a church all did was us, the mission of God's church would die. It would have died long before we're even sitting in this room. So the first question we have to ask is, have you really received God's compassion? Can you rest in it and, and just rejoice in what you couldn't do, but he did? And as we continue forward, we don't have to wait for the oppressed to cry out. If we're real, if we actually listen to what we hear outside, the cry is there. You know it, I know it. It knocks on my door all day long downtown. 
help me. I don't know where to go. And so as an individual, I want you to think about this. How do I choose to show compassion this week? And trusting that compassion will give you the opportunity to display Christ's goodness. And God will give you the opportunity to share the truth of who he is. And as a church, even in in my church, how do we focus our generosity? Because that's compassion in action. Who do we choose to be generous to? Is it with our time, our talents, our resources, even just our hearts? And so as we walk down this path of compassion, uh, here's the difficult thing. Conflict will come. Conflict happens in God's people as the outcry and and Nehemiah has responded. There's conflict that's going to come. You are going to be given a conviction on your heart that you didn't know was there, that you didn't see because you're being faithful to God's word and his movement. And so go reconcile. Go offer the jubilee, however that is in your case. But give people the freedom that God and Christ has given you. And don't just let it be that little piece because God's calling us to show them that they also need the spiritual freedom that only he offers us. Let's close. Lord, I just pray this week that you, you help us hear the cry that's out there. You help us hear the cry that's even in our heart that we're not willing to let go um, because we feel hurt and burdened. And so Lord, give us eyes to see what that cry is. And Lord, let us respond in a generous way. Let us just be generous and share our compassion to bear the cost, to lighten the load. And Lord, bring us to our knees as we humbly just worship your son and know that he did the things we can't. Amen. Thank you for checking out the podcast today. We hope you've enjoyed it. For more information, you can visit alliancebible.church.